Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine, produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Tonight, you are going to want to grab a pen and some paper to note down the many dates and times of our guests' upcoming events all over the Bay Area. On tonight's show, you can gain confidence in keeping non-working items out of the trash and landfills with help from a repair coach. Also, what if we could eliminate police stops that happen because of broken and burned out brake lights? And finally, how about saying thanks, Mom, by helping keep children fed over the summer while school is out? All this and more tonight on Full Circle. I'm your host, Darlene Pagano. Stay with us. Welcome again to Full Circle. I'm your host, Darlene Pagano, and tonight's show will focus on very personal volunteer programs that help and empower communities and make an immediate and practical difference in people's lives. I was serious about grabbing some paper to write down the opportunities you're going to be hearing about. All of these events coming up are happening this month of May. The best known of our lineup is an annual event that occurs on a national level. This is the Letter Carriers Union Mother's Day Food Drive. And to open up, I have this little music clip. a small piece of Please Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes. I'll just let some of you go back for a moment into memory land on that. My first guests tonight are all from East Bay locals of the National Association of Letter Carriers Union. Each year they help to stamp out hunger as they gather thousands of pounds of food from you, their customers. I had a chance to speak with three letter carriers earlier this week. 
And let me introduce our guests. Let's start with Margie. Uh, good evening. My name is Margie Beria. I'm a retired letter carrier for the Postal Service, and I delivered mail for 31 years. I got involved with the food drive in 1993. And Irene? Hi, my name is Irene Liljadal. I am the food coordinator for Alameda County, also a letter carrier for 23 years now in Berkeley, California. And how long have you been doing the food drive? All 23 years. And we have Gary. Gary Summers. Uh, I'm with Branch uh, 1707. I've been doing the food drive for over 10 to 15 years. Can you all give us a little background on the letter carriers of food drive? I just want to also make a point to say that this is organized and run by the letter carriers and their union. This is not actually the Postal Service food drive. So let's give a little love there to the letter carriers for taking this on. So who can give me some some history on the drive? The drive started about 125 years ago. That was made up of NALC, which is the letter carriers. They went out to neighborhoods and, and, and decided that there was a need for uh, food. And so they decided that in order to get food out to the panneries and out to the hunger, then they needed to come up with this thing called food drive. So now the branches are more coordinated and it is more of a national effort? Yes, it is. And the date of the upcoming food drive, at least from the Bay Area, what will that be? The second Saturday in May. The second Saturday in May, is that yes. May 12th, the day That's before correct. day Mother's before day. Mother's Day. Is there any significance to that? Only the fact that they realized in May that was the time that the food banks started to see their shelves depleted from all the donations from the holiday season. And they needed to bring that back up and then also to have enough food for uh, summertime programs for children to be able to, to have uh, meals during the summer. So they just needed to keep it ongoing all year round. And basically in May, it just fit the bill. We've been doing it in May. Nice part about it day before Mother's Day, what a better way to give your mother a gift than uh, sharing it with food with everybody. I do think that's a great hook for the drive to make it part of a Mother's Day tribute. How do you help the customers? I'm your customer. How do you help us or warn us or encourage us to get out there and participate? Irene? Letter carriers leave postcards as a friendly reminder for the upcoming food drive on May 12th. Then we deliver as many bags as possible. On Saturday, May 12th, we then pick up the food and take them back to the post office, which is then picked up by our local food banks. So the food banks come to the post office to get the deliveries? Yes. We have barrels that are delivered before the food drive. We unload our vehicles, put the food in the barrels, and then the food bank comes to pick them up. Those little Jeeps must get pretty crowded <laughs> then on that Saturday. Yes, in the past, we've had volunteers to come out and take some of the load off because when you're walking down the street, you're delivering the mail and then going back to the vehicle and making stops to come back then and pick up the food because we can't carry it all. So this must be a long, hard day for the carriers. Yes. There's overtime that day, and it's, it's a long day. But the good part about it is that in many offices, there are a lot of volunteers that come out. 
some carriers will still stay around and volunteer to uh, sort out the food. Other volunteers who have come to the station to support that task. So let me get this straight. As they're delivering their ma- the mail, they're making extra trips back to their Jeeps yes. and loading them in and still walking their entire route Correct. to do all the deliveries. So this is definitely a labor-intensive, probably labor-of-love event for the Letter Carriers Union. So how can... We, over the airwaves of KPFA, which does reach all of Northern California and into the Central Valley, how can we make this the most successful food drive possible and also to make it be as efficient as we can? You said there'll be postcards in our mailboxes. When can we expect them? You can expect those postcards uh, the week of the food drive. Uh, We try to get them out. Uh, We don't want to put them out too soon. It's the Wednesday or the Tuesday before the food drive. You'll have the uh, card or bag at your location. You'll fill that bag up with either dry food and cans, and uh, that carrier will be uh, uh, there at your house to pick it up. Folks are hearing us on Friday, May 4th. Just want to let folks know to watch for that postcard or understand what that bag is there on your porch or in your mailbox, that this is your signal for the food drive. Here I am with my one bag, and what is the most uh, useful things that we could put in it? And I don't know, how heavy should it be? Can I add another bag? How does that work? The best way to contribute is to donate healthy, non-perishable food in a grocery bag and leave it on your porch early that morning of May 12th, and we'll pick it up. You can add several bags if you'd like, and we'll gladly pick them up. Any stories about what might have come back in those bags in the past? Outdated food is one of the things that we really have to be careful for. Sometimes when people think, oh boy, the food bank, it's time to clean out my pantry, Well, some things in people's pantries, they haven't looked at, so maybe uh, early 2000. We really have to be mindful that um, it's good dated food. Yes, even though we are making a charitable gift, let's remember it's a gift. It's not something that you're giving away that you wouldn't feed to your own family. And a lot of things that are just really wonderful to give is like peanut butter peanut butter in, especially those plastic jars, those are wonderful because they won't break. And then the other ones are tuna, beans, pasta, cereal, all those things. Right. Think about what your kids like to eat. Uh, Give a share of that, but not packages that have been open or ripped or broken. Correct. Make sure you're packing the food for a trip because the food is going to be traveling a bit. How many food banks... Do just the three of you alone represent? Because I'm hearing that each branch works with its nearest food bank. My branch, uh, 1707, we cover Alameda County. I work with branch 1111, as Margie does also. I work with Alameda County Food Bank, and she works with Contra Costa. Yes, Contra Costa Solano Food Bank. And I'm sure you all have quite a few years under your belts there for the food drives. I was wondering if you all have some stories to share that might help folks understand what a big endeavor this is and how important a commitment this is to the letter carriers. Well, this food drive is the biggest 
in the nation. And for residents of Alameda County, this drive has contributed the equivalent of over 1.1 million meals in 25 years that Postal Carriers have partnered with Alameda County Food Bank. That's a nice big number. Yeah, so we take pride in this food drive. It's so interesting to hear that by the end of the day, everything has already been delivered to the food banks. You folks really make it a quick operation. In some other areas across the nation, since this is nationwide into um, all 50 states, some other smaller areas, the carriers come back with everything in the back of their, their vehicles and everything gets put out on tables and things get sorted out. Then they're put into boxes and then those are taken to um, the local food bank. So it's not the same procedure in, in every location. Some are big, some are small. It's interesting to see how we all do the same thing different ways but the outcome is it remains the same i do want to give a shout out and suggest from the microphone here if they don't leave you a bag you know you have a, a bag somewhere you can set it up yourself just overwhelm with love those postal workers next saturday the 12th and i say that in honor of your mom put in some ingredients in that bag that are special special significance to your family, whether that was your favorite uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or your mom made you eat, I don't know, canned salmon, and it was the worst day of the week when she did that. And make sure you contribute some canned salmon to the food drive just to honor mom. What else would you like to make sure that our listeners know about to help make this a successful drive? We really want to help make the Northern California Drive very successful, even though it's going to mean an extra long and an extra hard day for the carriers. This drive is especially important to low-income children who will not have the breakfast and lunch programs available to them once the school year ends, with summer approaching. And uh, I would just like to say uh, thank you very much for um, all the different uh, all the different unions that have have supported the food drive, and so we wanted to say thank you to the uh, the IBEW, the United Food and Commercial Workers Unions, and we just want to say thank you. They support us and uh, they help spread the word about the food drive. Can you make a good guess of how many branches across the country are participating? I th- believe ten thousand. Sure, ten thousand branches. Yes. Branches, yes. Wow. That is an effort. Well, don't forget, we also have the food drive. It also expands to Puerto Rico and Guam. And so right now, we just believe that the carriers in Puerto Rico, after everything that has happened, they are just so instrumental in in making that that country viable. They deliver the mail. And this year, they're actually going to go pick up cans. And so I would just say, um, remember them too. Especially. Thank you. And I'll make that pitch again. That this food drive is particularly in place to help make sure that the food banks have the food during the summer to support all the children and teen lunch and breakfast programs that other parts of our society run over the summer when the children won't be getting their school meals. So again, do it for your mother. Make that donation, make that little bit of a commitment, because there's certainly a lot of other people who are going to take your donation and put their effort, sweat, and time into to make sure that there's a good 
stock at the food banks. So I'm going to thank my guests again. Um, Marjorie Beria, a retired uh, letter carrier. Irene Liljadal, Branch 1111. Gary Summers, Wood Branch 1707, Hayward. Folks, watch for that postcard. Don't let that bag go to waste. Fill it up for the Mother's Day food drive of the letter carriers, which will be the Saturday before Mother's Day. Make your mother proud. When speaking about volunteer efforts, we have so many options to cover. Turning now from the letter carrier's Mother's Day food drive, which over the last hundred years has developed into a national project of the union, we're going to a very new effort that is just taking root in the greater Bay Area. When we come back from this music break, we'll hear from the Breaklight Project. Stay with us. Mechanics, baby. Two minute mechanics working on your car. You got two minute mechanics, baby. Two minute mechanics working on your car. Just the other night Woman, I took my time Made sure that I did it right Okay, folks, you should have noticed that I like to go way back and bring you music clips originally recorded in mono. That was Too Many Mechanics, a deliciously dirty blues by Donnie Ray. Our next group is not quite yet a national presence. The Breaklight Project started only a year ago in New Orleans, but is starting to show up all over the country. These pop-up repair clinics have been offered by chapters of Democratic Socialists of America. DSA has itself been on a growth surge since the 2016 presidential elections, and one of their direct outreach efforts has been these parking lot clinics. They are an effective and immediate benefit to their communities. So for this segment of the show, I found this brilliant project called the Brake Light Project. And it goes by a couple of different names. There's the Bay to Brake Lights or there's Give Me a Break. It is an organized effort to make sure that folks have working brake and directional lights. I'm going to let our guests tell you why. I have with me Brian and Kristen. I'll let them do a quick introduction. They are both members of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, 
which has taken on this project in a number of its chapters in the Greater Bay Area. Kristen. Hi, I'm Kristen. I'm a member of the Silicon Valley Democratic Socialists of America. Brian. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm uh, the treasurer of the Peninsula Democratic Socialists of America. Can you give a little history? What is the Breaklight Project? Can you give some background and the rationale? So the idea grew from some members in the New Orleans DSA. There was... Um, a comrade there that was changing their brake lights after being stopped by police and realized how easy it was and how you could change these brake lights for folks and save them a lot of hassle and a lot of unnecessary interactions with the police. This is particularly important for undocumented immigrants and people of color, which as we've seen from current events, you know, interacting with the police is dangerous and if it's not even just the hassle of going to court and contesting these tickets is time that people don't have and time is precious to these people if you're working two jobs or more you don't have time to go to court and contest this so it's really unfair to put this kind of burden on these people whose only crime if you could even call it that is to have a tail light out so it starts in new orleans and how has it spread is there a national brake light uh, network or how do people decide to take this up after new orleans the brake light idea spread because it's just such a simple sort of event that any chapter can pick up and run and because dsa relies so heavily on grassroots organizing i wouldn't say that there's a national campaign for it other than it's just really popular it's a great idea people saw it they wanted to do it so we've had folks in texas pick it up and do it and in la and now in the bay we've had the east bay chapter was the first one around here to do their brake light clinic then there was one in san jose that was hosted by the silicon valley dsa and now further up on the peninsula it's sf and peninsula's turn as well as silicon valley to host our brake light clinic. I just want to talk about how important it is for the democratic socialists to get out in the community in really practical ways, in really concrete ways, because when you when you talk to people about democratic socialism, they say, "Oh, this is pie in the sky. You're, you know, you're just dealing with something theoretical." And I think people want to be a part of something that they see having an immediate impact in their own local neighborhoods. And what kind of response have you gotten? We've gotten a great response for the brake light clinic. We've actually had members come to our meetings specifically because they hear about this brake light event and want to be involved. This is such a simple idea and it helps so many folks. And it gets people excited because who likes to be pulled over because their taillight is out? Like that's never a fun sort of encounter to have. So to be able to go somewhere and get it replaced is a great idea. And then also to be able to go out and help the community in this way is also really rewarding and a great way for you to get involved. And what about the community? The community response to the brake light events have been fantastic. I mean, it's a way for 
DSA to show interest in the community and also bring them in and show that they're addressing concerns that they have. This is not only a, a police brutality issue, but also an economic one. A car is how someone gets to work. And if you're going to get fired because you're late because you're pulled over, that's going to affect your ability to provide for your family, provide for yourself. And it's an economic issue that is important for the Democratic Socialists. How do you run a brake light clinic? How does this work? So the brake light clinics are organized by local chapters in the Bay Area. Uh, We get together and we have uh, a preliminary meeting where we train our members how to change these brake lights. I myself am excited to go to one of these training sessions and they have a mechanic there. They show us how to change it. I've been told it's as simple as changing a light bulb. (laughs) And, uh, And so we have them demonstrate how this works. And then the next weekend we go out, we flyer for the event, we put up signs, we do events like this where we can tell the community that this is going on. They show up, whatever the case is, we will figure out what's wrong with their brake lights, help them if we can. Usually it's just a burnt out bulb that we can fix easy. We'll provide the bulbs for free. Doesn't cost anything to the people showing up. All they got to give us is a few minutes to to fix this uh, brake light for them and then they're good to go. I have a couple more questions on that myself. Is it just the brake lights? There are also, there are directional lights, there are parking lights, there are headlamps. How far are you able to go with uh, helping people with repairs? Well, so we specifically will get brake lights for free that we have uh, that we can replace. But we've had situations where we'll diagnose an issue where some lights are out and it turns out like the wires are corroded. And even if we can't fix it, we can at least point them in the right direction. You know, even showing up to the auto shop with exactly what you need fixed is a great boon to people. That'll save them time and help them get their problem fixed faster. So the chapter itself passes the hat to have the money for bulbs and fuses? There's a brake light coalition of the Bay Area. They rely on good old-fashioned fundraising from our members and from other interested parties to get them funds for these brake lights. And then we share the expertise. We know like mechanics will have them show up and do the training. So it's all grassroots organizing and fundraising. Give me some uh, stories about running these clinics. What goes on during the day? So I can talk about a personal story of someone that I know. I haven't attended a brake light clinic. I look forward to attending the upcoming brake light clinic on May 19th. Part of the impetus behind this Redwood City Clinic is actually um, a friend of mine and a member of the DSA who is a DACA college student, an undocumented immigrant, who had his brake light out and I didn't know that was what was going on, but he started asking for rides to events uh, a little while ago. And we asked him, why do you need a ride? Is your car broke down? Is, Is something wrong with your car? And he said, no, it's just that my brake light is out and I haven't gotten around to fixing it yet. And recognizing that Driving a car without a brake light for someone who is an undocumented immigrant is a huge risk because even if you are pulled over for the brake light, it's that encounter with law enforcement that provokes fear. And in this climate that we're in where we've seen increases in deportations and detentions of immigrants in our community, even 
students who have DACA ostensibly protecting them from deportation. This is a risk that our friend was not willing to take. And so he did not drive his car uh, for two or three weeks until he was able to find the time and the money to get the brake light replaced. And he's one of the leaders organizing this brake light clinic in Redwood City, where he lives. And I think a lot of that is related to his personal experience and wanting to prevent other people from being in that situation. Excellent. Brian, do you want to add a story or two? I would say the clinics themselves are a great way for DSA to go out and meet the community. You know, we have opportunities for people to sign up for future events like this, as well as other kind of mutual aid projects that DSA will be running. And I think it's that sort of creation of solidarity in the community and a way for folks to show up and help in their community that's so important and also give them an opportunity to I, I believe we'll also be having like voter registration there as well so we'll be able to help the community you know we'll have snacks for the kids it's also a family friendly event too so this isn't just for you know the commuting population this is also for the stay at home parent that needs to go on a grocery run but can't anymore because their brake light is out this is a way for them to get their brake lights fixed and give them some mobility back into their life. This whole brake light initiative has only been going on since August of 2017. The earliest one was run by the DSA members in New Orleans. And they uh, kind of through social media, shared this event, and it spread like wildfire, as things do on social media. But at least, you know, this was a good one. This this was something that people saw and were inspired by and wanted to recreate. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about DSA is because it's grassroots organizing. So it's a way for the community to see DSA helping them and to find an avenue for them to join. Because I think that's the other thing, where people want to join DSA, but they don't know what we do. And they don't know how they can help. And this is a great opportunity for them to see us in action. And I I kind of hate to call it this, but in a way, um, this is sort of like an instant gratification activism because you're having an immediate impact. And in the world that we're in, a lot of people are looking for opportunities to get involved with something, but they often feel overwhelmed that the problems that we're facing are insurmountable and we feel powerless. And the brake light is something that, that you can fix for dozens of people in just a few hours on a Saturday, and you're making a big difference in your community. It really is a justice issue because we know that people are pulled over for their brake lights being out. This is very common. I've had brake lights out, and I've been pulled over for having a brake light out. However, I am not a person of color, and I haven't had that same experience that could be fearful in the encounter with law enforcement about a brake light. But I think that it is a social justice issue to recognize that interactions with law enforcement in people's vehicles for things that seem minor can escalate quickly or simply just provoke tremendous fear. I want to make sure, because I know this is what everyone's waiting for, that you give us the next brake light clinic that's coming up, date, time, location, and uh, how to find you. On May 19th, we'll be at the First Church of Redwood City. 
This is at the intersection of Woodside Road and Broadway in Redwood City. It's just off the 101 highway, uh, the Woodside Road exit. We will be in the parking lot at this very busy intersection behind the Smart and Final grocery store being hosted by the First Church of Redwood City. So folks, if you'd just like to go by and check out your friendly local DSA chapter members, just drive on in to say hello, to express your support. And have them check all your lights all the way around the car. Make sure you're in complete compliance as well. If someone wants to get involved or find out more information about Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, can they just stop by? If you're in the neighborhood, you can stop by. We'll have tabling out there with tons of literature and information. You can also just talk to our our members. So the website for the Silicon Valley DSA is South dsa.org Thank you both. We're going to take a quick musical break. Oh, I know why you're chasing all the headlights. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 FM, KPFA. Before the break, you heard members of Democratic Socialists of America, Peninsula Chapter, and DSA Silicon Valley. You can locate the websites of DSA chapters all over California by going to the national website. That's dsausa.org. And, of course, we'll have a link on our page kpfaapprentice.org. That's our webpage. Our music clip you just heard was Headlights by Robin Schultz. As always, you can go to our website to visit an archive of all of our shows and check there for the links that we are providing for materials and announcements from tonight's show. And again, our website is kpfaapprentice.org.
That is also the website where you can read about and download an application for the next apprenticeship training group. This is another notable KPFA activity and is largely volunteer run. The apprenticeship program is our own mentoring and coaching program here at KPFA. It's a tuition-free 18-month course to give traditionally underrepresented communities a pathway into media access. The deadline for the next cohort is only two weeks away. It'll be Friday, May 18th. Please go to kpfaapprentice.org, read about the program on that page, and consider applying. You, too, could be producing this show every Friday evening. Turning back to our guests, let me introduce you to The Project's Repair Cafe and Fix-It Clinic. We, we are going to learn about Repair Cafe and the Fix-It Clinics. These are educational opportunities to work with volunteer fixers to learn more about the possessions that you own that are not in the best of shape at the moment. And they can help you learn how to fix it. Well, usually. Sometimes we bring them things that are just not fixable. Tonight, we have three fixers. And we have Tony Farrow, a name that you might hear every now and then over the KPFA airwaves. Because Tony is our audio engineer. We have Howdy Gowdy who is another volunteer fixer. And we have Peter Mewey, who not only is a fixer, but is a founder of the Fix-It Clinics. Just say your name so people can identify your voices. Let us know how long you've been working with Fix-It Clinic. Start with Tony. Hi. Well, I've been working with Repair Cafe in Palo Alto since August 2015. By the way, that is the first one in the U.S. Have you been there since the beginning? Oh, no, no. Only since 2015. They started around 2012. And Howdy. Hi, I'm Howdy Gowdy, and I've been actively participating as a Fix-It coach just since the beginning of this year. I've done four events since January, but I knew about Fix-It clinics for several years through Peter, but I I always wanted to do it and I never got around to it and I finally did and I'm really glad that I am participating now. And Peter. I'm Peter Mui and the first Fix-It Clinic was in December of 2009 at the UC Berkeley Albany Village Community Center. And that was you? That was me and uh, two other Fix-It coaches. One of them, she lived there. She was the one who made the space available. So I'm going to ask, since we've already started down this road, can you give some history and the context of this project? What is it about, besides being very helpful person to person, what is the point of doing fix-it clinics? Well, it's changed. So originally, we weren't sure if we would be able to help anybody. I had noticed that more and more consumer appliances and household stuff had 
special fasteners that had special heads and you needed special tools to take them apart. And a lot of people just don't have that. They, most people just have a common Phillips head screwdriver. So I thought, suppose we have an event where we make those tools available along with a little bit of help. You know, can we help people disassemble stuff and get inside and repair it? At first, we weren't sure whether or not we would be able to fix anything. But, you know, over time, we've been able to, to fix uh, our historical repair rate is, is about 70%. And it's amazing we can do this at all given that we don't get any support from the manufacturers to do it whatsoever. There's no repair manuals or service manuals available. It's often hard to get parts if we need them. So the, the very fact that we're able to fix as much as we, we can is, is, is great. I have been to two fix-it clinics now, and people are thrilled when it works. They just yell out all over the place. And then, of course, the crowd goes wild in appreciation and enthusiasm. So it's quite a fun event. Any frustration, I would say, that one goes through in the course of learning is well worth it. What is the difference between the series of events called Repair Cafe and Peter's series of Fix-It Clinic? Well, there's not a whole lot of difference. In repair cafes, we also have apprentices that learn how to fix things, along with the fixer who has some experience and the owner of the uh, article being fixed. Mm -hmm. I believe in the fix-it clinics, the owner of the article gets very involved in Ah. disassembly and fixing things, learning how it works. Yeah, I would say at an ideal fix-it clinic, the role of a fix-it coach and a participant blur, and everyone's just helping everybody else fix their stuff. It's one big fixing party, and it really doesn't matter whether you are designated a fix-it coach or a, fix-it or a participant. Everybody's just helping everybody else fix their stuff. What actually happens at an event? People bring things that are broken. They register them at the door and they're introduced to the room uh, with their name and their item and, and someone will help them identify how to go about fixing it. So it's really about empowering the people who own the item to get more familiar with it, understand how it works, what's wrong and, and how to fix it. And then they can really change how they relate to the item. You know, I think it's important to understand what's going on rather than just expecting it to be fixed. Once they go through that process together, you likely have a repaired item and then there's a celebration and a ringing of the bell and everyone is happy for another item that is not going to a landfill. Peter. People have an epiphany. So I think for a lot of people, there's this sense that they didn't think that things were repairable and they come in with sort of this sense of despondency and I don't know at this point we've got a pretty good reputation but I'm really trying to gear the Fix-It Clinic events to attract a certain type of person who is a change agent in society. I think at this point between all of these community repair events we validated the hypothesis that if you offer free repair everybody loves that everybody shows up for free repair what we're trying to do now is try to figure out the challenge is if, even if we could hold community repair events 24-7 around the clock around the planet most stuff would still be ending up in the landfill. And the more I do this, the more militant I get that basically, however we're practicing consumption at this point on the planet is non-sustainable going forward. 
Fix-It Clinic's morphing to try and disseminate these skills and this ethos through the community more broadly to give everybody a sense that everything's repairable so that even when there is no community repair event happening, people just naturally think, I shouldn't toss this, I should get it fixed. It's incumbent on us to keep things at their highest utility possible for as long as possible. So another thing that we're doing with Fix-It Clinic is we're moving to hold more and more Fix-It Clinics at colleges and universities where they teach engineering design and design thinking. So we want to go back to manufacturers and to these items and say, why did they fail and how do we provide continuous integration to improve these, these products going forward so that the next clock that you buy basically lasts multiple lifetimes, multiple generations of your family will, will be using that clock. Also make it repairable. Some things are just impossible to disassemble. They glue things together. <laughs> right, absolutely. We want to design for repairability, durability, maintainability, serviceability from the get-go. When your car needs to have its oil changed, you don't throw it away. But there's a certain class of item we understand needs a certain level of maintenance. So how do we disseminate that ethos to all classes of things and or make the things that are, like, that are so inexpensive so durable that they last forever? How can listeners best participate in a cafe or a fix-it clinic? What preparation should they take to have the best experience? Just, you know, having an open mind and interested in learning is is what's needed to have a good experience because um, everyone can learn these skills. It's just a matter of observing what's going on with the item. And I, I love it when people have done research ahead of time on the problem. Best repairs are people come in like they, they have a, a smartphone with a broken screen and they've ordered the replacement screen. They're just nervous about doing it themselves without somebody watching and they're afraid they're going to mess it up or they're just nervous. And, and so I'm happy when, when people come in and they have the spare part and they've done the research and they, they know what the problem is. They just, they just want somebody to watch them doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm always thrilled when people do that because they've done 90% of the legwork then and there already. Fortunately for us in the East Bay, there is a repair cafe coming up. It is actually tomorrow, uh, Saturday, May 5th. Time it starts around 11 a.m., I believe. And it's at the uh, Berkeley Fellowship, 1924 Cedar Street. Tomorrow, Saturday, May 5th, at the Berkeley Fellowship. Do people pre-register? Do they... Is there a fee for anything? They could just walk in. Do you know the online address for the reservation? Cultureofrepair.org. And you can RSVP. It's not actually a reservation, but you can let them know that you're going to be there with certain items so they can be best prepared for what's going to be coming in through the door. And again, that's 11 to 2.30 at Cedar and Bonita. Peter, we were talking about tomorrow's event is a repair cafe. Can you give us some upcoming times in the immediate Bay Area for fix-it clinics? Oh, they're happening all the time at this point. We've got a ton of them all through Alameda County. Go to Facebook. That's probably the, the easiest and best way to find the Bay Area fix-it clinics coming up. Let's just review the websites one more time so that folks can find out the upcoming schedules, find out how to RSVP for an event that they'd like to attend. Tony, do I have it right? Cultureofchange.org? Cultureofrepair.org. Thank you. Cultureofrepair.org. And Peter? Fixitclinic.org. 
or you can go to Facebook. We have a pretty active Facebook presence and Google+. Okay, fix it with no hyphen right, or no anything. No hyphen, no nothing. Fix it. Yeah. Fix okay. it clinic, all one word. Excellent. Some websites you can learn how to fix different items. There's uh, ifixit.com. Instructables.org has a lot of guides. YouTube, just searching on YouTube. There's a lot of videos there on how to fix stuff. Okay, so Tony, again, you said I fix it. That's right. And, and there's, dot, uh, there's dot .com and dot .org. The dot .com actually has the videos. Peter, you had another one? Instructables.com. Instructables.com. Instru mm -hmm. Thank you so much. I second your challenge to ask folks to give it a try. If you are already giving up on something anyway, give it a try to improve your own knowledge and... Who knows? You may be well extending the life of your objects and keeping them out of the landfill and not spending any more money buying yet again another product. Thank you so much, Tony, Howdy, and Peter, for filling us in on these opportunities in the Bay Area to get in and do it yourself and for the larger purpose of keeping materials out of landfills and to slow down just a smidge the consumer society that we get caught up in. Thanks for coming in tonight. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 
KPFA. That lovely bit of music was Frank D. Fixer by Jason Mraz. And before we hit, uh, before that, we heard the voices of Peter Mew, Howdy Gowdy, and KPFA's own audio engineer, Tony Farrow. They were speaking about the fix-it clinics and repair cafes. A reminder, the repair cafe will be at the Berkeley Fellowship, 1924 Cedar Street, at the corner of Cedar and Benita, right here in Berkeley tomorrow morning, starting at 11 a.m. I have heard that they are getting a lot of RSVPs coming in, so they do recommend coming in on the early side of their hours, 11 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. I want to remind you of an event announced on our April 13th show, which was called Whose Money, Our Money?, The second part of that wealth and inequality workshop is how we can build a more just economy for all. That is going to be run tomorrow, Saturday, May 6th at 11 a.m. at the Omni in Oakland. Uh, That's put on by another person-to-person organization, Bay Area Strike Debt. Uh, We archive all of our broadcasts and links to show information at our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Let's do a quick review of all the events we brought to your attention tonight. That's the purpose of the pencil and paper. And all of the dates in May in which these will occur. Tomorrow, Saturday, as we said, May 5th, Repair Cafe in Berkeley. Sunday, May 6th, we gave you the Strike Debt Workshop in Oakland at the Omni. Saturday, May 12th, that's the Letter Carrier's Mother's Day Food Drive, a national effort coming to you right to your mailbox. On Friday, November 18th, is the deadline for applications to the KPFA Apprenticeship Program. Please spread the word to friends and neighbors who are interested in building or receiving media skills. And Saturday, May 19th, is the parking lot brake light free repair clinic in Redwood City. I want to go back and talk a minute about the KPFA apprenticeship opportunity. That is, it's so extraordinary, and we really need everyone's help in spreading the word. This is to serve underrepresented communities, and often they're not our audience yet on KPFA, uh, as well served as they could be by our station, but we may not be on on their uh, radar. So we are asking folks to give a thought. Who do you know who wants to involve themselves in media and who has limited opportunities or isn't sure about the opportunities that are out there and what would it mean to them to have a tuition-free, rigorous apprenticeship in media skills? Just to let you know what I mean by media skills, the um, right from the beginning, the apprentices go on the air and under pretty controlled situations. The community calendars and the 
uh, PSAs, the public service announcements that KPFA is well known for, that is completely done by the apprentices. Uh, the scripts are written, the um, announcements are recorded and edited by the apprentices from the very beginning of their program. <coughs> Excuse me. There's the skills that are built in the apprenticeship program include a lot of writing, uh, features writing, news, commentary, announcements you can host, unless you, um, you know, have a little accident here. Um, And um, we go out remotely into the community and um, uh, record for KPFA. You can audio engineer. You will get voice training, not tonight perhaps, and you will um, learn a lot of social media skills. Who do you know that can be helped or stimulated or encouraged or advanced by joining the KPFA apprenticeship program? Please let them know about it. The links are waiting uh, if you need them at kpfaapprentice.org for the the apprenticeship and for all the listings from tonight's show. Please participate in any way you can with all of our highlighted volunteer organizations. Go out and enjoy your community. Create some as well. We'd also like to take one quick moment to highlight a wonderful jazz event on Sunday night, May 6th, at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. Mary Lou's Apartment, an all-woman, compact yet mighty big band, plays. The ensemble features the music of African-American musical geniuses Mary Lou Williams and Melba Liston. They will be at the Freight and Salvage Sunday night. Doors open at 6. The show is at 7. We've come to the end of tonight's show. Tune in next week to Full Circle for our show on the state's program, Rethink Your Drink. Our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. I've been your host this evening, Darlene Pagano. Thanks to Sharon on the board and our tech assist, Kendall and Laura. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Stay tuned. La Onda Bejita is next.